All right, well, so we're going to continue on this morning with the series we began two weeks ago called Follow Me. We're taking a fresh look at Jesus and the movement he began. If you've missed any of them and you want to go back and catch up, you can go to our website, stonybrookccog.org, and you can listen to the first two. Uh, they're good ones to just sort of get the overview for what we're doing in this entire series, but I'll give you a quick overview here uh, in just a second. Uh, but if you want to keep along at home or listen to them, we've got them posted on the website there. So here's what we're doing in the series. We're taking a deep dive into the books of Luke and Acts in the New Testament. Luke is a story about the life of Jesus. Acts is the story of the life of the church. And they're written by a, a man named Luke. He was a physician and a historian, and he tells us in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke that he investigated very carefully all these claims about Jesus because he wanted his readers to know for certainty that the things that they had heard about Jesus are true. So that's why we're spending so much time in this book. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 1 this morning. But before we do that, I'm just going to give you a real quick recap of what we've talked a little bit about so far and why we're doing this. I told you uh, earlier that to be a Christian is a has a very specific definition biblically. To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, to be a disciple it is has a very specific meaning. To be a disciple means to, to pattern your life after or to become like your teacher. So if your teacher is John... Uh, then to be a disciple of John means that you try to not only know what John knows and learn what John knows, but to become like John in your actions. So as Christians, to be a Christian means to become like Jesus. And if we're going to become like Jesus, we have to know what Jesus was like. That's why we're going to spend so much time in the book of Luke, because Luke spent a lot of time investigating and interviewing eyewitnesses to figure out exactly what Jesus was like, what he did and what he taught. So we want to be like Jesus, so we're going to find out what Jesus was like by studying the book of Luke very closely. So that was week one. And week two, I told you that if we're going to understand Jesus, we need to understand him in his cultural context. So last week, we went on a, on a really long history lesson. For those of you who are here, you know that I, I, I like the history stuff. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But we went on a really long history lesson, all to explain that in the first century, many of the Jews who were living at the time Jesus was born, they had this concept that scholars call messianic expectation. Messianic expectation. It's this idea that God was going to send a deliverer into the world, a Messiah, somebody anointed with power who would, uh, and, and what they were expecting, based on what we saw from the Old Testament writings, what they were expecting was that God was going to send a very strong and a very forceful deliverer, somebody who was going to overthrow Roman power, who was going to kick the Romans out and build a wall and uh, keep them out, and, and would make Israel great again, would restore them to their early glory days, back the days of King David and King Solomon, when they were a local power, when they had peace and prosperity, and there was no foreign oppression. This is what the, the Jews in the first century were expecting. And I want you to keep this in mind as we work through the book of Luke, and compare and contrast this with what actually happened. Ask yourself if the Messiah they were expecting is the Messiah that they got. So as we move through Luke, keep this in mind. Ask yourself, is the Messiah they were expecting the Messiah that they got? 
so today we're actually we're going to jump into the book of Luke. We're not going to talk about uh, anything Jesus taught or did yet, because before we get there, we have to understand how Jesus came into the world. So today and next week, we're going to sort of have Christmas in October and November, okay? These are usually stories that we would read uh, in December, but since we're going through this series now, we're going to spend some time on the Christmas stories a little early, which makes sense because we know that Jesus wasn't actually born in the winter. He was probably born in in the late fall anyway, Um, so, you know, we're going to celebrate Christmas just a little bit early, okay? So today we're going to talk about uh, the, the announcement that Mary received from the angel Gabriel concerning the fact that she was going to give birth to a baby. In the church world, this is known as the Annunciation. The Annunciation. Uh, You can use that term to impress your friends this week, okay? I'm giving you some theological terms so you can sound really smart when you talk to people. The Annunciation. So in Luke chapter 1, we'll start in verse 26, and this is what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth uh, was the cousin of Mary. She was the wife to a priest named Zechariah. Uh, in the story leading up to this, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and told Zechariah that he was going to have a son. Even though Elizabeth had been barren her whole life, he said that God is going to work and you're going to have a baby. Uh, and this baby is going to be named John. And John, as we know, becomes the forerunner for Jesus. Um, so that's what it means when it says in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So the angel Gabriel has already showed up to John, told John and Elizabeth they were going to have a baby. And now he's showing up somewhere else. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel shows up to a town called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth... Uh, if you don't know much about it, is a really tiny town in ancient Judea. As a matter of fact, scholars think that the population of the town of Nazareth about this time in history would have been maybe 200 to 500 people. So this is a really small town, sort of in the middle of nowhere. It's a town that wouldn't have really been on anybody's map. As a matter of fact, if it weren't for the events that we're going to talk about here today in the next couple of weeks, Nazareth Nope, none of us would ever know the name of Nazareth. It was just sort of this out-of-way town in the middle of nowhere. Nothing significant ever happened. Imagine like the smallest town in Indiana you can think of where, where just nothing really happens there, okay? That's what Nazareth was. Uh, as a matter of fact, for the longest time, people didn't even believe that Nazareth was a real town. Uh, they, as they read the stories of Scripture, they, they couldn't find inscriptions of Nazareth anywhere else in any other writings. That's how small of a town it was. It just wasn't on anybody's map until recently when they finally realized that the Bible was right. <laughs> um, imagine that. Uh, and that Nazareth was actually a real town. So Nazareth, this tiny, out-of-the-way town. Pay attention to that. The angel Gabriel shows up in this tiny, out-of-the-way town, and he shows up to this small somewhat of a nobody person named Mary. Mary wasn't anybody super special in that time period. She wasn't a queen. She wasn't a princess. She wasn't, you know, uh, on the cover of all the magazines or the newspapers. She hadn't done anything super significant. She's probably just this average teenage girl living in this small, out-of-the-way town in uh, Galilee, in the area of Palestine. And this is who Gabriel shows up to. Now, Mary, at this time, she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Uh, If you're not familiar with the marriage customs in the first century Judaism, 
uh, betrothal is a lot like our concept of engagement. You know, we will usually get engaged for a period of time before we get married, a time of preparation. So they had a very similar type thing, except their betrothal process, their marriage process, was much more permanent. Whereas for us, you know, if a couple decide, if a couple's engaged and they don't want to get married, they can call it off without causing a whole lot of stir. In first century Judaism, to be betrothed carried the same commitment as being married. And so if you were going to break off a betrothal, you would have to go through a divorce process, same as if you were going to, to end a marriage. So even though they weren't technically married, they were still in this engagement process. Usually the couples didn't live together. They didn't have relations with each other during the betrothal process, but it was just as serious as marriage. And so to end a betrothal um, required divorce. And if, if one of the parties in a betrothal uh, had relations with somebody else that was just as bad as committing adultery once you were married. So it was a pretty serious thing to have Mary betrothed to this man named Joseph. So this is the stage. We have this, this small out-of-the-way town and this, this little, this young girl, this probably a teenager, maybe an older teenager, a very young woman at this point who's, you know, not on anybody's radar. And this is who the angel Gabriel shows up to here in first century Nazareth. And here's what the angel says as we continue on. Verse 28 says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So take just a minute and put yourself in Mary's sandals. Here you are, just going about your normal everyday life. You know, you're betrothed to get married, so you're probably making some wedding plans. Uh, you know, you're just going about your everyday life, and all of a sudden, this being shows up in front of you. You don't, you know, somebody you've never quite seen before and says, Greetings, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. You know, if that happened today and, and you carried pepper spray, you know, you know, you just never know. Somebody shows up and talks like that. So Mary's response is, is very understandable, right? It says, um, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, wouldn't you? Somebody shows up and says, greetings, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Um, wait a second. Who are you again? And why are you here? Uh, so and then the angel responds, um, we move on in, in verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So not only does this stranger show up and give you this really strange greeting, he knows your name. So all of a sudden, you know, wait a second. How do you know my name? Who are you and what are you talking about? So obviously Mary's a little bit perplexed and we can understand. If, if somebody showed up and said, Ta-da! I know your name and the Lord is with you. You're going to be like, Hold on a second, right? Most of us are going to be a little suspicious if somebody shows up with that kind of an announcement. Uh, I've never had an angel show up, but reading through the stories in the Bible, every time an angel shows up, one of the first things they always have to say is, don't be afraid, which indicates to me that that's probably a pretty scary experience. If they have to, be, if they have to say, don't be afraid every time they show up, there's probably a reason, because people probably get scared. So we have this little, you know, this young woman and she gets this startling experience, and this angel says, Hi, I know your name, and the Lord is with you. And then he goes on. It doesn't just stop there. It just gets weirder. Uh, the angel says to her, uh, in verse 31, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. At this point, if Mary hadn't been sitting down, she probably had to, you know, stumble to find a seat and sit down. This is some pretty heavy news. You know, just, again, picture yourself as just, you know, an older teenage girl, fellas, stay with me here, uh, going about your, your normal business, and all of a sudden this angel shows up and says, not only do I know your name, the Lord's with you, but by the way, you're about to have a baby, and this baby's going to be the Messiah. What? I mean, that kind of changes your whole day right there, right? If Mary had been paying attention in Saturday school, you guys get that? The Sabbath? Saturday? Okay. It's a joke. Okay. Um, thank you. So if Mary had been paying attention, she would have recognized this language when uh, the angel said, pay attention now, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, that sure sounds a lot like the passages we read last week that the Jews used to expect a Messiah, right? So if Mary had been paying attention, she knows this means that, that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. The one that all of Israel had been hoping for and expecting is going to come out of this relative nobody in this place in the middle of nowhere. She's going to give birth to the Messiah. That's some pretty big news. That's a pretty big deal. I don't know if you've ever received any unexpected news before, uh, but that has a tendency to you know, throw you off for a little while. Last, uh, not this past summer, but the summer before that, I was in South Carolina for some military training, and I got a phone call from Gabrielle, and she said, I think we might be pregnant. Now, we, I wasn't expecting that phone call. Um, now, it didn't catch me completely off surprise because we're married, and, and we had done what, you know leads to that kind of an announcement, so it didn't catch me completely off guard, but I, I, I definitely wasn't expecting it, and I knew at that moment that my whole world was going to change. I knew that, that moment my whole world was going to change, that there was going to be a baby coming into the world, and my whole world is going to change at that point. Now, imagine being Mary, where, as we're going to see, she hadn't been doing the thing that leads to having a baby, and she gets this announcement, but not only is her whole world about to change, she knows that the whole world is about to change because of this announcement. That not only is her whole world going to be thrown upside down, the whole world, everybody's world is going to be changed as a result of this big news. Uh, so then Mary, you know, I, it's just amazing to me as I read the story because if, if, if I'm the one who hears that announcement, I'm probably passed out at this point or something, right, out of just sheer shock. But Mary, she just, you know, she asks a very logical question. Verse 34, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? I mean, that makes sense, right? That's a very logical question. She says, uh, maybe you're not from around here, stranger, but usually there's something that has to happen before somebody can have a baby. And that thing hasn't been happening. So maybe you're not familiar with the way that we do things around here, but how am I going to have a baby if I've not been doing the things that lead to having a baby, right? I mean, it just, it, it makes sense. Uh, so the angel has an answer. Verse 35 says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So Mary asks this very logical question. I've not been doing the thing that leads up to uh, having a baby, so how am I going to have a baby? And the angel says, oh, don't worry about that. You know, God's going to take care of it. Um, excuse me? What? How does this even work? At this point, you know, I probably would have run away. I would have broken out the pepper spray. I would have been on my phone calling the police. Something, right? And Mary's just like, oh, okay. And so we have Mary's response in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. What? I mean, what kind of faith is that? This announcement could have cost her everything, right? To, in that culture, to become pregnant outside of marriage by somebody who's not your husband is a really big deal, right? It could cost you your life. And, you know, if this was me, I'm just thinking, like, Mary's got to be thinking, but my wedding's coming up. I'm not going to fit in my dress if I am pregnant. I'm going to be pregnant in my wedding pictures. Nobody wants to be pregnant in their wedding pictures. That's what she's thinking. And yet, all of these excuses, she says, the angel, do you understand that if I'm found to be pregnant and I'm not doing the thing with Joseph, like, Joseph's going to know that we haven't been doing this thing. And if I show up pregnant, do you know what he's going to think? I mean, all of this must have been going through her mind. Do you know what people are going to say about me? Do you know what Joseph could do? Not only could he divorce me, he could have me killed. He could have me stoned if I become pregnant outside of our marriage. We're betrothed. That means that if, if I show up pregnant and it's not with him, he has the right to have me killed at, at worst, and, and at best he's going to divorce me. All of this has to be going through her mind, and yet none of, she doesn't say any of that. All she says is, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What, I mean, what kind of faith is that? What kind of trust is that? That she, she just meets this angel just five minutes ago, and he gives her this news that turns her entire world upside down, and not only her own, but the world, the, everybody's world. And she doesn't argue. She doesn't talk back. She asks one very logical question, like, how is this going to happen? Because I know how babies are made, and this isn't it. And then as soon as the angel explains, she says, okay, sure. Be it unto me according to your word. What kind of faith is that? And this is, that, like I said, Mary wasn't some extraordinary person in first century Judea. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't some famous person, she wasn't, you know, nobody knew her name, really. Nobody knew where Nazareth was. And yet here she is, the one who has the faith to say, be it unto me according to your word. How many times does God ask us to do something that's outside of our comfort zone and, and outside of what, what makes us feel safe? How many times does God ask, ask us to do something that, that may risk us something or cost us something, and, and we talk back and we say, oh no, I don't think that I can do that, God. It's just, that's just too inconvenient for me. 
And raise your hand if God has asked you to give birth and raise the Messiah. Right? What kind of responsibility is that? Like you, I'm, just, I'm raising a little girl. And it, like the, the weight of the responsibility of just raising one little girl, I know she's not going to be the savior of the world. Right? Imagine the weight of responsibility. And yet she responds with, be it unto me according to your word. That's just that kind of faith. What if we could respond with that kind of faith when God calls us to do something, when God asks us to maybe give up some of our time or give up some of our money or share some of our talents or, or, or share the gospel with our friends or our neighbors or our family or our coworkers? You know, when God asks you to step outside of your comfort zone in some small way and you start to think, oh my goodness, I just don't know if I can do that. I'm, I'm not quite comfortable with that. Just remember Mary. This, she, wasn't, she wasn't some spectacular person. That's, that's the whole point of this whole story. Nazareth was not the place where you expected world-changing events to start if you were a Jew. That was Jerusalem. Mary's not the person you're expecting to, to lead this and be responsible for this world-changing event. But all she had was this simple trust that God was able to perform what God said that he would do. And so she responded with, be it unto me according to your word. So when God asks you to do something, to step outside of your comfort zone, just remember that number one, he's not asking you to, to bear the savior of the world, right, savior of the world. And if he didn't let Mary down, he's not going to let you down. And your story's not being recorded in scripture, okay? So, you know, there, there's a lot. Let me take some of the pressure off of you, but let's, let's look at Mary as an example of somebody who just wholeheartedly trusted God, wholeheartedly trusted God and just said, fine, be it unto me according to your word. God, I trust you enough to just be obedient. I trust that you will take care of me. I'm going to, I know that this is dangerous for me. I know this is outside of my comfort zone. I know it could cost me everything, but God, I trust you. Okay, I'll do it. Imagine if we had that kind of faith as Christians. Imagine if we had the, the attitude of, God, whatever it is you want me to do it, I trust you to take care of me. Because here's the thing. Mary didn't have to respond this way. God didn't leave her without a choice in the matter. It doesn't seem like it. You know, it seems like Mary probably could have said, you know what? I don't think that's for me. I don't think I'm willing to take that risk. I don't think I'm willing to step outside of that comfort zone. But God knew that Mary was going to be one who just said, be it unto me according to your word. What can we, how can we develop that attitude in our life? Maybe it's you know, getting involved in a small group. Maybe you've been hesitating to get involved in a small group, and you know that God is tugging at your heart, saying, you know, for your next step to grow, you need to really get involved in a small group. You need to have that kind of accountability. You need to, to have that kind of in-depth conversation. And you just say, okay, be it unto me according to your word. Maybe God's asking you to either start giving for the first time or to increase your giving, and he's been tugging on your heart, and you just say, I don't know if I can stretch it. It puts me outside of my comfort zone. And you say, you know what, God, I trust you. Be it unto me according to your word. Maybe God's asking you to share your faith with somebody in your life and you're, you're afraid. You, you don't know how they're going to respond. There's somebody that you know that God wants you to talk to, to, to share the good news about Jesus, and, and, and you're hesitant and you're scared and it's, it's a little outside your comfort zone. You say, you know what, God, I trust you. Be it unto me 
according to your word. Whatever it is, wherever God is calling you to step outside of your, your comfort zone, remember Mary, who in the face of world-changing events and the scariest news she's ever received, she didn't talk back, she didn't argue, she just said, be it unto me according to your word. So here's our bottom line. It's a little longer this week. This is how it all began. A surprise announcement to a relative nobody in the middle of nowhere that something was about to happen that was going to change the world forever. Luke is dropping hints that the expected Messiah was on his way, but almost everything about him would be unexpected. So come back next week and learn a little bit more about that. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for preserving these stories. We thank you for working within Luke to carefully investigate this story, to, to write it down so that we can be sure about the stories that we've heard, that we can believe with certainty the way that you've worked. Father, we know that you're beginning to show us, even at the beginning of this book, that you are at work in the world, but you're at work in a way that is totally unexpected, that you are the one who works in places and people that nobody else expects, and through them you're able to do incredible things. God, give us the heart of Mary. Help us to have the kind of just unflinching, unrelenting trust in you that when you call us to step outside of our comfort zone, that we don't talk back, we don't argue, we simply say, Father, be it unto me according to your word. Give us the strength and the courage to trust you even when it's scary, even when it's uncomfortable. Father, may we be a people who trust you enough to say, be it unto us according to your word. Even when it costs us everything, God, even when it changes everything, may we trust you in the process, knowing that you have promised to be with us every step of the way, that you have promised to go before us and to go with us. I thank you for these things in Jesus' strong name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.